Hi, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of the Try Faster podcast presented by the Fort Worth Tri Club. My name is Keith, and I'm joined by my friend Michael. How you doing, Michael? Good, Keith. Happy to be here. Great. Um, just a reminder that you can follow us on uh, Instagram. We both have personal Instagrams. Michael has a great YouTube page. Um, and then you can check out uh, some of our coaching at fortworthtc.com. And we'll have links to all those in the show notes. So we had planned on having uh, both a news update and a topic of the episode, uh, but with how much news there's been in the last week or so, uh, we're going to push that topic to next week. And that will be uh, a discussion on having a coach and then being self-coached. And But today we're just going to talk about some racing news. We're going to recap some of our own training and then um, preview some of the upcoming races. So Michael, how's your training going? Well, you know, we last week we talked about everything uh, related to the off season, what we were both focusing on. So right now the training is very much off season mode. The intensity is very low, doing a bunch of super short sprints, neuromuscular type of work stuff that you're prescribing me. Um, so I'd say good. It's it's really easy right now, just enjoying the process of taking things easy for a change. So um, I, I say it's it's easy. I've said that four or five times already, but I think it's actually really hard to remember that I need to go easy at this point of the year. There's not a whole lot to be gained from, from beating myself up 12 months of the year. Um, so I'm just trying to keep reminding myself to stay easy, stick to the plan. And, and I find that really important for me personally, uh, right around now. So I'm really enjoying it. And then kind of on the other side of the update is, you know, to kind of keep things fun in the off season. Today's actually a pretty exciting day for me because it's a new bike day. Uh, I'm going to be going out and picking up a gravel bike. Um, so jumping on the gravel trend and really excited about that and getting out and riding some of the trails close to my home. That's really exciting. I'm, I'm hoping to get a, a gravel bike at some point, or at least uh, fix my cyclocross bike. So I can do some of that too. Yeah. I mean, if you're not gravel racing right now or gravel biking, I should say it's like you're completely missing the trend. So everyone needs to get a gravel bike. All right. I'll start looking then. Yeah. Um, so, uh, for me, I, um, I did Ironman 70.3 Waco last weekend. Um, I think last week I'd mentioned that I kind of already started my off season and was, I'm just kind of taking things easy. And I did pretty much an easy 70.3 on Sunday. Um, I didn't take it super seriously. I don't think going in. Um, I think one of the interesting parts about having a, a 70.3 that's that close to home is sometimes it actually makes it harder than a race that you have to travel to. Um, because we didn't really interrupt our life cycle at all to, uh, to go down there. Um, I had a normal Saturday morning and coached our juniors for a couple hours, uh, went to my kids' soccer games, uh, got there. I was one of the last 10 people to make it to pack a pickup because I was eight away from the end of the last bike rack on uh, the numbers and then, uh, got up and, and raced. Uh, this was definitely a different race with a 1230 PM start, um, as there was a full on Saturday down there. Um, but, uh, I had some, I had some issues with my bottle and my straw and hydration, and maybe we'll dig into that later. I need to diagnose exactly what happened. Um, but essentially I didn't drink the last 30 or so miles of the bike. And, uh, I felt every bit of that when I got to the run, uh, because at, uh, three o'clock in the afternoon in Texas, even in October, it's pretty warm. And it was humid and windy, and I, I basically walked the half marathon. Um, but I made it to the end, and um, yeah, looking forward to the off season too. One more sprint try next weekend, and then uh, fully, fully off season for a while. Yeah, congrats on that. Congrats on finishing seventy point three Waco. I did Waco four or five years ago, the first year they had it down there. And, and for those of you that are listening, that. Um, that don't quite understand the heat that comes in Texas, even though we're talking about the end of October. I mean, it's, it's hot down there. It's brutal. And then I, I can't believe that they put it at a 1230 start. So logistically, I don't know. Maybe there was a reason because they had Ironman and a 70.3 going on at the same time. But um, yeah, my condolences to all the athletes that had to, had to go out there and face that. Cause I'm sure when you signed up for the race, that's not something that you were planning to, to have to battle. Yeah, that was, it was really different. Um, 
there are a few guys that are are pretty good DFW guys that are, are really fast and they did not finish. Uh, just kind of looking through the results, I, I think that yeah. um, it was it was a pretty tough day. And you knew when you got off the bike if it was gonna if it wasn't gonna be your day um, that you were in for a long run because that is a challenging run. Um, the bike course isn't too hard. Uh, the roads were pretty bad and it was really windy. So the, what should have been a really easy bike wasn't as easy as it looks on paper. Um, and then that runs got about 500, 550 feet of climbing, which is pretty good, uh, for a 70.3. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough run. Wow. Um, can't believe it. I hope I never sign up for a 70.3 that starts at 1230. I'd probably just cancel. So, um, all right, let's kind of jump to some of the re race recaps. Most notably last time we got together, Keith, we were chatting all about California. I was so hyped to talk about California because we were supposed to get an epic showdown. Jan, Gustav, Cam Worf, Lionel Sanders battling it out for what at least at one point was thought to be the unofficial 2021 world championship. We didn't get that. We didn't get that at all. The race was at one point thought to be shortened. So we were going to have a shorter bike. Um, and, and then it was just altogether canceled due to wind, rain. I saw pictures from Talbot Cox down trees, down power lines. It appears that Iron Man made the right call. But man, we missed out on a really cool race. Yeah, that, that was disappointing. And, and that was one thing that I saw early in the morning uh, since I was hanging out waiting for our 12:30 start i saw that that california was canceled um and so that is pretty disappointing but at least they have moved the pro men to florida uh, which is going to be next weekend november 7th um it's a little disappointing i think probably for the pro women because i know that iron man's goal when they have these races is when they have men men only races and then women only races that's so that the pro women can be the first one across the finish line and their race is a little bit more highlighted and they're not, you know, tucked in behind the men's field. Um, so I am a little disappointed about that for them. I thought maybe they would have moved the men to Arizona, but I think that Florida probably makes more sense because it's sooner. So it's probably more logistically feasible for some of those guys to stay in the U S if they're not based here, um, to stay there for a couple more weeks than to stay two more weeks after that, all the way to Arizona. <laughs> Yeah. And maybe it makes a whole lot more sense too. I was watching some of the videos leading up on YouTube into Ironman California. And we know now that Jan wasn't feeling a hundred percent. Gustav talked about that in one of his videos, the fact that both of them pre-race were at the same doctor two or three days beforehand, uh, not feeling great, being tested for COVID, both were negative. Uh, I, maybe it's just the mental pressures or the anxiety leading into the race that, that led to that. Um, but we know that both of them probably weren't at a hundred percent. Um, and, and to, to have that showdown when they're not quite at a hundred percent may have been a little bit disappointing. We are going to get something in Florida, which we're going to talk about here a little bit later, but let's, let's kind of move through some of the other recaps of some of the races that have gone on, uh, since we last talked, you've mentioned uh, Waco, anything else you want to throw out there on the, so we had an Ironman and a 70.3 event happening. Yeah. I just wanted to, to shout out some of our Texans, um, Mark Cerrone that lives down in San Antonio. Um, uh, he's a guy that I've been racing since I was 14 years old. Um, and just, uh, he got his second Ironman win over the weekend. He went 8:41 on a pretty warm and windy day. And he had a sub three hour marathon on that course with close to a thousand feet of climbing. And so that was, um, a really impressive race for him. Um, he's somebody that I'd love to have on the show at some point. I think he would be a really good guest. Um, he's got a big uh, coaching business down in San Antonio, and he's obviously a really, really fast age group triathlete. So I think he would be um, fun to fun to talk to. Um, and then I wanted to shout out our other uh, another Texan, Brad Miles, that got second in the uh, the seventy point three. Um, he hasn't raced a whole lot the last few years, but he still uh, is racing really well. So that was, it was good to see him out there. Yeah. Congrats to everyone that was down there. And Mark, if you're listening, uh, reach out, let us know. We'd love to chat with you. Uh, moving forward, LA triathlon. This was a really cool race happening the same day that the uh, Ironman California was supposed to be happening because in the men's field, a pretty interesting group, some, um, 
draft legal pros, some long course pros, and some young people that we haven't seen much from before, um, all racing at a pro Olympic distance, non-draft legal triathlon. Not a whole lot of those left. This is the LA triathlon happening in Los Angeles, California, going right through downtown, a pretty cool, a unique atmosphere uh, and venue to be racing triathlon. Uh, Keith, what'd you think of this race on the men's side? Uh, I think this was really, really fun just to see some of these guys come, come together at the Olympic distance. Um, and this was Vincent Lewis. He won pretty comfortably over Ben Canute. Um, and then I think a kind of a surprise third place was Mickey Tagholt. And he's kind of come along this year as, um, a little bit, he was a little bit of an unknown at the beginning of the year, but he finished fourth at 70.3 worlds. And then to come down to the Olympic distance and get third, um, in this field, I think that was really, really impressive. And then fourth place, uh, Jamie Riddle from South Africa. He's a draft legal guy. He's just 21 years old. And so he beat the likes of Eric Lagerstrom and Chris Leiferman and some pretty good uh, top-level guys to get fourth down there. Yeah, I, I love seeing young people jumping in to some of these non-drafting races. Uh, definitely think we're going to see more in here. Jamie's name more in the years to come. Uh, not surprised. I think Vincent Lewis and Ben Canute came off the bike within a minute of each other. But Ben Canute got blown away on the run. I think it was like a two and a half for three minute deficit in a 10K, which is, kind of, I mean, it's kind of what you expect when you pair a long course guy versus an ITU draft legal guy. Um, so pretty cool, though, to ha again, have all those guys on the same course. Keith, let's let's switch over now to the women's side in L.A. What do you think of that race? Uh, I think this one, it was a little less. Uh, it wasn't quite as deep as the men's race. Um, but Emma Pallant Brown has been just on fire lately. And I think we all kind of expected her to win. Um, but we also got to see Miranda Carfrey in action. And it seems like it's been a while. Um, and then Heather Jackson racing down at the Olympic distance too. Um, Heather was third and Miranda was fourth. Um, and then we saw a relative unknown, Amy Sloan finished second and she's done some draft legal and it looks like she's starting to dabble in long course. And so um, she's only 29 years old. So she's someone that we could see um, if she can put together some more good performances. Uh, she might be someone to watch out for in long course in a few years. Yeah. So clearly on the women's side, Emma Pallant Brown was the favorite going into the race. She won the race in fashion. Uh, I was happy to see Heather Jackson and then Miranda Carfrey in this race. I love Rennie. Um, Back in our conversation a week ago, when I first got into triathlon, it was watching those NBC specials and she was there. She was there 10, 15 years ago and to still see her mixing it up. And she just had a, she just had her second kid less than what, less than 12 months ago. So kind of get already getting back to elite level performance. Um, truly, truly remarkable. Heather Jackson's another uh, athlete. We're going to be talking about a couple times throughout today's conversations so she's got a lot of races lined up uh, before we jump forward um just kind of one side note i mean isn't it kind of amazing right now we're at the end of october and we're talking about all these different races happening when in a normal year post or pre-pandemic that we would be after Kona right now and all the racing that's happening. I mean, these, these, these wouldn't be pro races or there just wouldn't be as many. Uh, and, and everyone's focus is to, to next year where right now there, there seems to be a lot of racing going on. A lot of people pushing for Kona slots, uh, St. George slots are pretty, pretty much given out at this point. Um, but there seems to be a lot of action, which is a lot different than what we've seen in years prior. Yeah. Yeah. It's really exciting. I think it's, it's fun to, to see all, all of the big names that are still racing this late in the year. Um, every once in a while, you'd see that, you know, at, at Florida or Arizona, someone would go validate their Kona spot or something. Um, but the fields weren't as deep as they are now. And I think we'll talk about that in a little bit with how many people are on some of these start lists uh, yeah. here over the next few weeks. Yeah. Okay. So transitioning then to uh, 70.3 Portugal, um, Keith, Tell us what happened here in the men's side. Um, so in uh, 70.3 Portugal, this was uh, just a fun race to follow along because we had some uh, draft legal guys uh, doing their first 70.3. Um, it was a long course guy that ended up winning. 
uh, Magnus Ditlev. Um, he won uh, pretty comfortably, I think, over uh, Aaron Royal. Aaron Royal is an Australian uh, draft legal guy, Olympian, um, really strong runner. And so it was, it was good to see his first race. Um, and then I think the name that probably catches most people's eye was Johnny Brownlee. And we saw him come in in sixth. So um, it was a good first 70.3 for, for Johnny. And um, it'll be fun to see where he goes from here. Um, he's said that he is still thinking about another Olympics. Um, and so I think it'll, it'll be a lot of fun to follow what he does the next few months, um, because Olympic qualifying does start already in May. And so it's not quite like a normal year where, um, we've got to, after the Olympics, there's usually kind of a lull and there's a lull for a long time because Olympic qualifying starts on the even numbered year. Um, between Olympics. And so with this Olympics coming in 2021, um, that means we're already coming up on Olympic qualifying um, now, you know, at the start of 2022. So it's a, it's a little bit of a different dynamic on the draft legal side. Yeah, you got time. Jump into the long course. If you're a draft legal athlete, jump into some 70.3s. You have the fitness for it uh, and see how it goes. I think it makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, what we, when was the last time we saw Alistair Brownlee race? Was that in the spring? I don't remember seeing him race all summer. I think his last race, um, was the Leeds world triathlon series race. And, uh, he got disqualified for, um, dunking, uh, American chase McQueen in the swim. And then he, uh, he ended up jogging the run because that was before he had his ankle surgery. And so. Um, that was the last time we saw Alistair in a triathlon. Um, although he did a really long gravel race. Um, I'm not sure what the name of it was, but I think it was something like 700 kilometers. It took him a couple days. Damn. Um, it, it was, it was very long. He ended up getting seventh. See, um, but that was, that was his, yeah, there you go. Gravel gravels. The thing Everyone's to do. doing gravel now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting too, to watch Alistair because he's, I think he's made it pretty clear that he is not going to go back to gravel legal. So for him, this is, uh, it's long course from here, here to the end of his pro career. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to see him line up a couple more times, hopefully here in the near future. Um, okay. How about on the women's side in Portugal? There weren't quite as many big names on the women's side. Um, Marjolaine Pierre won the race. Um, she had nearly three minutes over second, so it was a pretty comfortable win for her. Um, but the names that stood out to me were also a couple more draft legal races, racers. Uh, Latte Miller from Norway, uh, she finished fourth. Um, and so I think one of the things that we haven't seen a lot of is the Norwegian women. And so um, they weren't able to get a, a mixed team relay, but I think that that is part of their goal for the next Olympic cycle is to make sure they get um, a relay in 2024 in Paris. And so they're, they've got a couple women that are working their way up. And I think she's going to be a uh, part of that group in a couple of years. And then uh, fifth place was Lucy Hall too. And she's done some draft legal. She's also done some, some long course now. Um, and so I think those are the two biggest names on the list. Yeah. Awesome racing, but love to see again, all those draft legal athletes stepping on up to 70.3 just makes it more exciting um when you when you can kind of see these long distance pros lining up against these draft legal individuals so really cool stuff all right i don't know if i'm going to pronounce this right so correct me if you need to but the hundy world cup is that how we say is that how that's pronounced not sure um but but transitioning to draft legal um we have a, a world cup event happening keith fill us in yeah, so I, th I think before we talk about the race, I love draft legal triathlon, and one of my goals on this podcast is to turn Michael into a fan of draft legal triathlon. Um, and then anyone that's listening, if you are not following draft legal, it is uh, much more exciting to watch than long course triathlon. Um, and so that's definitely one of the goals is we want to we don't want to spend a ton of time on draft legal and turn you all away, but um, it is the most exciting format of racing. Oh yeah, maybe that'll happen. 
but I love, I love actually paying attention to what's going on in the draft legal space. I'm not paying near the amount of attention to the draft legal space as I, as I am non-draft legal long course events. But when you look at draft legal, it's very easy to see that's where the future athletes are going to come from the best in the world. Uh, and we're going to talk about one of them, Beth Potter here soon, whenever she decides to make a transition to long course racing, she's immediately going to be one of, one of the world-class contenders. So um, that's what you see across this discipline of triathlon is the, the future pros that are going to make it at the long distance non-draft legal events are coming from these draft legal circuits, whether it's these world cup events. Now we see super league, all those other things. So um, we're going to cover those briefly uh, in this pod, in this podcast, moving forward, mostly just to make sure we're staying aware of, of who these future pros are going to be. Yeah. So, and uh, uh, Keith, Potter, help us do that though. Okay. And so we'll start with the women since you already mentioned uh, Beth Potter. She's, I think she actually really became known in the triathlon space um, because she was a triathlete and she set the 5k road world record very briefly. Yeah. Um, if you don't follow uh, track and field, there was a brief period where world athletics erased a bunch of road records and decided to start over for some reason um, because there were some rule changes. And basically Beth Potter was the first person to run a fast road 5k um, it wasn't remarkably fast. I want to say it was about 1440. Um, and it was quickly erased beat by an Ethiopian or a Kenyan. Um, but she did briefly hold the road 5k world record. Um, but she is, um, she was born in 91. So she is 30 and I'm not sure if she's got maybe one more Olympic cycle in her, and then we're going to see her move up to long course. Uh, but she's still racing really, really well, um, in draft legal. And so, I would assume she's going to keep going through, um, through Paris, but she won uh, this Hyundai world cup by 15 seconds, um, over the weekend. And she had a 1653 run split, uh, which is pretty quick. It wasn't the fastest in the race, but having such a comfortable margin of victory, um, that's still pretty good. Um, there weren't a lot of big names in this race. Um, Australia's Charlotte McShane jumps out. She was ninth. Um, and Emma Jackson was 14th. Um, but it was a pretty young race in general. Um, no one in this race was born before 1990. So it was, it was very much, um, a good, a good place for some of the younger athletes to get, uh, get some experience in a world cup. Um, and then the same thing on the men's side, um, it was a pretty young race, um, on that side too. The oldest person, uh, was born in 88. Um, and there were several guys, about a dozen guys born in 2000 or later. So, uh, we got to see some really young guys. Um, but the men's race was won by Anthony Pujad from France. Uh, this was his first race in two years. Uh, he hadn't raced since late 2019. Um, he didn't race at all in 2020 before COVID. Um, and he uh, ended up winning the race by six seconds um, over Takumi Hojo from Japan. Um, again, just like the women's race, not a lot of big names. Um, I did just want to shout out uh, one of our Texans, uh, Michael Arashida, that finished 33rd. Uh, he went to Texas A&M, and he was in college about the same time um, as me and Michael. So it's cool to see that he's still racing pro triathlon. Yeah, go Texas. Uh, and, and I'm very high on Beth Potter, just to circle back on that front. Um, and I, I hope to see her in a long course race here sooner than later. Um, you think we're going to have to wait till after Paris though. So, um, I'll be anxiously waiting for that day to come. I remember watching, so she did the, one of the super league events, um, where she, she beat, um, she beat everybody sw swam well, biked well, ran well. Uh, and then it was like the week or two after that, that she set the, I guess at the time world 5k record, uh, which, which I, I, I just think it shows her her ability to get it out and, and do not just swim, bike and run, but also her upper end ability on the, on the track. So really cool stuff by her and everything going on there in the draft legal side. And you talk about uh, the draft legal athletes moving up. What about Lucy Charles moving down? And That's I true. Think okay. we, might, we might see some of that pretty soon. She's on the start list uh, for Abu Dhabi. And so we'll, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. She will. So the race, I, the, the first race I saw, Beth Potter out was a race that 
um, Lucy Charles was racing in and Beth Potter beat her. I think it's very interesting that she goes down like that. I, I don't, I, you know, I, I try to follow her as best as I can on, on the socials on her YouTube channel where she posts a bunch of videos. She's competitive. Uh, she makes a lot of money down there, but I, I just don't think that that's her primary goal. I don't, but, um, I, I love watching her wherever she goes. I think, I think she, she brings an interesting perspective to things and is a really entertaining athlete to watch. Yeah. So keeps her speed up, which is something, uh, you know, a lot of athletes, especially if you are doing long course for a long time, final Sanders talked about this over the last year. It's like, he just doesn't have the leg speed right now after doing some of the, um, Ironman specific training blocks to compete at the 70.3 level. That's why he wasn't at 70.3 worlds. He said he just didn't have the leg speed for it because he's just been focusing too much on the iron distance, uh, work. Uh, I think it makes a whole lot of sense for athletes to step down every once in a while and make sure you're sharpening those skills. Yeah, for sure. And I think it'll be really exciting for, um, for 2024 to see who makes the British women's team, because there's, they have a, a lot of really strong women right now. Yeah. Awesome. Good yeah. stuff. Um, so that's it for the race results, but we have a bunch of really cool races coming up over the next two weekends. The first one that's coming up this weekend, 70.3 Oceanside, a bunch of athletes we're going to be talking about the, the hardest thing, um, maybe to kind of cover before we start talking about previews this week something maybe we should have talked about last week is it's very difficult to know what athletes are going to be lining up at what races when you look at start lists uh, keith you can expand on that a little bit but when you look at them we have a lot of athletes signed up for 70.3 oceanside a lot of athletes signed up for florida uh back-to-back weekends and perhaps they they will line up for both type both races but uh, that's not always the case. Why do we see so many athletes, Keith, on all of these starting lists? So this is this is something that Ironman has has kind of dealt with for a long time, and I don't know if there's a they need to implement some sort of system to kind of clean this up. But sometimes you even see the same athlete on s- two start lists for races that are the same day or the same weekend, and in completely different places. And I think. Uh, the way that Ironman's pro registration works is basically you just say, Hey, I want to race this race. And then they enter you and then guys will wait and then look at the two start lists and then pick which one they want to do based on who shows up. Um, and especially now with, um, back a few years ago, they used to have a points based system to qualify for, for Kona and for 70.3 worlds. And now it's completely slot based. And so you have a race like Ironman California that was loaded and only two guys were going to get Kona spots. And so if there's another full that's close by um, in date, somebody could put their name on both start lists, look at California, say no way, and then switch to the other one. And so I think it's, it is really hard to tell because it's there's no barrier. It's not like World Triathlon where you're on a draft legal start list. If you pull out without a doctor's exemption, then you're suspended for 30 days, you know? Um, and so there's some accountability. Once you're on a draft legal start list, you're stuck. Um, but it's not like that with Ironman. You could get on every start list all year long. And so it does make it hard for us because we want to know who's racing and we're, we're interested in following along. And then depending on the race, some of the races will post a final start list or like a sign-in sheet on social media the day before. But sometimes we don't actually know who's in the race until the Ironman tracker tells us who got out of the water. And that's really yeah. disappointing. It, it is. It's it, it's frustrating. I hope Ironman can figure out a better way to do it because it makes it hard on us to say, okay, who's going to be there? You're like following YouTube, you're checking their Instagram or Twitter or whatever that they're active on to be like, where are they at right now? Are they in California preparing for the 70.3 or are they waiting wait till next week? They're going to be in Florida getting ready for Ironman Florida. We don't know all the time, but we're going to go based off the start list that we have and who we think might show up uh, in some of these preview conversations. Uh, first race, let's cover 70.3 Oceanside, which is this weekend. I, I would say this is a, a loaded field on the men's side and the women's side. A bunch of a bunch of fun athletes to watch, a bunch that are very active on Instagram and YouTube. Uh, Keith, what are you making of the men's race? Um, like you said, there's a lot of really, really good guys. Um, I'm excited to see Ben Knute at a 70.3. Um, and then, uh, Jason West is going to be out there. He won 70.3 Des Moines earlier this year. 
Um, Bradley Weiss is in the, in the race. Um, ben Hoffman, he's been racing a lot lately. Um, and then uh, Tim Reed, Sam Appleton. Um, I think those are probably your biggest contenders. Um, Mickey Tagholt, who we talked about a little earlier, he was fourth at 70.3 Worlds. And then he had that third place at LA last weekend. Um, and then I think maybe some of the dark horse guys would be Eric Lagerstrom and Matt Russell, both on the start list. Um, but I think it'll be, it's a pretty fast course. And so, um, I think we'll probably see Ben Canute out of the water at the front and then see him go for it on the bike because there are some pretty fast runners, uh, coming up behind and not that he's not a, a fast runner himself. Um, but with, against some of these guys like Jason West, um, Sam Appleton, he's probably going to need a couple minutes off the bike. Um, it was a pretty warm day in Des Moines, as you remember, over the summer. And yeah. Jason West ran 109 um, out there, and that wasn't a super easy course uh, to run on. So uh, there's definitely some run speed. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for this one. Ben Canute's obviously going to probably come out of the water in the front. Will he have anyone with him? How big will that gap be? Uh, I think Sam Appleton can push the bike. Will anyone follow him, or will he bring will he bring a train? Um, right. so I think that'll be pretty interesting. Uh, then, then of course it's, it's not just Ben Canute that wants a gap. I think Justin Metzler will be there too. So you're going to have yeah. some people with some serious power on the bike and are they going to try and blow it up? Um, cause they know if they come down and it's, a, it is a flat run that if it's a flat run, there's some guys that might be in the pack that are, are just sitting and waiting like, like Jason West. So um, what's ultimately going to happen on the bike is probably going to dictate what happens or what the result of the run is. If it comes down and everyone comes in in the same group on the bike, fast runners are going to prevail. I think some of these faster bikers have to get out and blow it up a little bit, but that that's hard to do. That's hard to do right now with the draft rules currently in place. Yeah. So who are you taking Michael on the men's side? That's a good question. Um, so, mm, Let's look at this. I, I'm high on Sam Appleton. I don't know if he, if that's for the win though. Um, but no, let's go. I'll go ahead and take Sam Appleton for the win. I think he has the power to to potentially break up the bike a little bit. Um, and he'll he'll be there. Uh, ben Canute coming in second, and Jason West running people down. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have the same podium, but I'm going to flip the first and third. I think we're going to see Jason West get a win. And uh, okay. Sam Appleton is going to be a little bit too far down. And Ben Canute's going to hang on and get second. And then Sam Appleton's going to get third. <laughs> my, my thought is there's a split. Jason West on the wrong side of it. He'll cover a lot. Of, he'll cover some ground with that running ability. Um, I think we're going to see some impressive, impressive performances across the board, though, in, in Eric Lagerstrom's had a, a rough start to the year, but it seems like he's gotten a lot better. It seems like he's getting healthy and he's really, really starting to hit his stride. So looking forward to seeing his performance as well. All right. Yeah. Let's talk about the women's side, a bunch of fun athletes to watch here as well. Keith, what do you think? Um, well, Emma Pallant Brown is probably the star of the list. Um, she's had a really good year. Um, like we just talked about, she won the LA try. She's got um, four big wins this year already. Um, and then she was fifth at 70.3 Worlds. And so I think um, she's a pretty clear favorite. Um, my next favorite, I guess, would be Paula Finley, just because we don't really know where she is. Um, she pulled out of 70.3 Worlds after she had already gotten to St. George. And so um, she had um, something, a foot injury of some sort. Um, and so I don't know where her run is. Um, normally I would say that she's probably the one that we would keep an eye on to win the race. Um, but I, I think her fitness is a little bit of a wild card. Um, but there's a few other really, really strong people in the race. Uh, Jeannie Metzler, um, and then, uh, Carrie Lester, Hannah Wells, uh, Heather Jackson is on this start list and Miranda Carfrey. So, um, it looks like we had a lot of the, the, California people uh, from the LA try, they're going to stay in California and uh, do Oceanside this weekend. Um, and then uh, Lauren Brandon also on this list. And so it'll be fun to see how she make, makes this race. Um, I think she'll affect the race a lot because obviously she's one of the fastest swimmers in the world. And I think she'll be first out of the water. 
And if she can get a gap on the bike, um, I don't know what her running is like right now. Um, I think she's kind of had um, a few struggles this year, but um, if she can push the swim on the bike, who knows, she might be able to, uh, to break this race up. I think you are severely underestimating Jeannie Metzler. Like she, she should be the favorite for this race. She's my, she's, she's the top of my podium, Emma Pallet Brown and Paula Finley. And I think putting Paula Finley on the podium in my perspective, I just, you know, really enjoy following along with, with her journey and, and the story that she helps put out there with her and Eric. Uh, but that's probably a little hopeful because we, to your point, we don't know where her fitness is at. She's had this injury. She had to pull out a 70.3 world, but I really hope the best for her. Uh, if not her, maybe a Heather Jackson, it would be super cool to see Rennie come in and get a podium, uh, at the end of the year. Um, but again, that that's probably a little bit hopeful on that front, but definitely I think the top two are pretty well set. Those are, those are the favorites that are going to be duking it out. So I don't know, defend yeah. yourself. How can you, how can you put Jenny Metzler, uh, not list her as a favorite? She's been racing so well this year. She has, she's had a really good year, uh, but she hasn't won a race yet this year. So maybe this is the one, um, but I, I would have the same podium as you. I'm just going to flip it. I think that, uh, that we'll see Emma Pallant Brown in first and then, uh, Jeannie Metzler coming up in second. Yeah, this, this should be a really cool women's field to watch. So very excited about that one. Okay. Now maybe the race part two that we've all been waiting for. Ironman California, which we talked about earlier, was canceled. They added the pro men's field to Florida. So now we have a pro men's list and a pro women's list to talk about down there. Uh, the major absent athlete from the male side is Jan. Jan's already gone back to Spain and he's already preparing for, I believe it's a race he's hosting or is helping host. It's a adventure triathlon that involves swimming, gravel biking. I just wanted to make sure everyone knew that, uh, and then a run. So kind of, kind of Xterra esque, but more gravel oriented. So everyone, if you have, again, if you haven't bought a gravel bike, make sure you're checking those out soon. Uh, even Jan's doing it. Uh, but let's talk about the men's side first in Florida. Um, Keith, this is pretty similar to the conversation we had last week. Gustav, Cameron Worf, Lionel, Justin Metzler is going to be there. A handful of other athletes. Only 18 listed male pros, though. This is obviously a new race that's going to be there. Don't know if this, that list is going to expand or not. Um, also don't know who will ultimately make that trip. But, but hoping that from the athletes that we have listed, we're going to have a pretty good showdown from Gustav, Worf, Lionel, Justin Metzler. Who are you taking? Uh, Gustav for sure. I'm, I'm not going to pick against Gustav until he loses a race. And I might not even after that, uh, depending on what happens. Um, I think he's the best triathlete in the world. So, um, I think he's going to win this race. The only, the only thing is maybe this flat bike, if Cameron Worth can really put down a lot more power, uh, maybe he can catch up, but he's going to be a few minutes down after the swim and he's going to need quite a few minutes off the bike to, uh, to hold Gustav off. We don't know. Gustav has never run a marathon after an Ironman before. So we don't know. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm flipping from what we picked last week with California a little bit with the plan, knowing Lionel were are going to be there watching uh, some of Gustav videos last week. Yeah. He rides super arrow completely get that. But, he was saying his bike power for his plan power for Ironman California is around 260 watts, right? And, that, and that's, that's really good. But I think if Lionel and Worf can get together and push the pace, which we know in Copenhagen, Worf rode off the front away from Lionel. I don't think if that's happening again in Florida, Lionel is just going to go with Worf no matter how much power he has to put out. Both of those guys, maybe even Justin Metzler can help contribute, can put out so much more power um, that I think that they could cause a gap in the field. Even though this is a super flat and a super fast bike ride, it'll be interesting to see if that could possibly happen. If that happens, if Gustav gets separated um, and there's some Uber bikers up the road, I see a way where Gustav doesn't win this race. 
Yeah, I could see that too. I just, I don't know. I feel like if they catch him on the bike, he's going to be able to sit in. Um, but what do you think his marathon split's going to be? I have no clue. I think you need, I think Cam and Lionel need five to 10 minutes. Yeah, at least. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Gustav run something like 233 or 234 in Florida. Or uh, Gustav just isn't prepared for the for the full he, marathon distance. True. We don't and know. He blows up. Yeah, yeah. It'll be cool to uh, watch either way. But like, my hope is actually that we see some of the big bikers, or Lionel, Justin, right off the front, so that when Gustav gets off the bike, he just unloads. We'll see how fast he can run a marathon. Yeah, he can probably run them down uh, if they don't have more than five or ten minutes. Yeah. Um, and then one note too, is Justin Metzler is on the Oceanside start list. So this is one of those scenarios that we don't know if he's going to do an Ironman the week after a 70.3, um, or if he's going to skip one or both or who knows. Right. Right. And then we also had Tim Reed on the Ironman California list. He's not on Florida, but he's at Oceanside. Right. Maybe he shows up in Florida. Uh, we don't know. So some, some interesting, things happening here and, and we know iron man can't figure out updating their website in the start list so we'll see what happens let's switch it over to the women's side keith what's your thoughts on that um i think this one's really exciting too um however it's kind of like the men's there are some people that are are going back to back oceanside and they're in florida so um heather jackson hannah wells and carrie lester are all on both start lists um so that'll be interesting to see um who who shows up first i think that's the the most interesting part of it um i think a big name that's on the list is sky munch um she's been very good since she kind of broke out a couple of years ago um and then uh jocelyn mccauley imogen simmons and michelle vesterby also on this list um and so i think we're going to have a really good showdown on the women's side um but like i said i think the if Heather Jackson comes across, she's probably the favorite, but if she does Oceanside the week before flies across the country, tries to race an Ironman the next week, I'm not so sure. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know. I know that she was probably three races, three weekends in a row is tough. Um, even though she has some very seasoned legs and I feel like if there's, uh, an athlete on the women's side, that's, most capable of it it's got to be heather jackson um we know she's in california right now so she's doing oceanside uh will she show up in florida and be ready to go we'll, we'll see maybe it really depends what happens uh, in california my favorite I, i'm thinking imogen simmons okay yeah i was um, yeah i was thinking along the same lines i think uh, i think imogen simmons will be on the podium um, I'm actually going to pick Sky Munch to win, win the race. Um, okay. And then I think Imogen Simmons in second, and then Michelle Vesterby in third. And I'm going to to say that all of our Oceanside doublers will will be off the podium. I'll I'll pick a pretty similar but slightly different. So I'll do Imogen Simmons taking the top spot, Sky Munch second, and if Heather Jackson shows up, I mean she's just steady at at the full distance. So I'll put her third. And uh, one note too is that, uh, and we didn't mention this on the men's side either, is uh, Sky Munch already has a Kona slot. So these uh, Ironmans that are taking place right now, they are qualifying for 2022 Kona. So that will be the October World Championship next year. So um, Sky Munch already has a spot. And then uh, Gustav and Lionel already have their spots too. So when we're looking at the, uh, the Kona qualification race, um, for the men, you could finish as low as fourth and get an automatic slot. And then on the women's side, you could finish third and get an automatic slot. Um, I think we're probably at the point where I don't see anyone declining a spot of the favorites in these races. And so I think you're probably going to have to be in one of those automatic spots to get a, to get a place. Yeah. Which makes perfect sense that, that we should see we from Florida. We should see Justin Metzler in Florida. They want that 2022 spot locked up as soon as they can, because if you don't, if you lock it up early, it then allows you, I mean, the key thing here is allows you to, to race St. George in May, a world championship event. And then in October, 
go to Kona. So the earlier you get locked up, the better. And you're not trying to battle and get in an early season Ironman next year ahead of May, ahead of St. George would really just complicate things. So um, makes a whole lot of sense for people to show up to these late season races. I wish maybe they should be thinking about that more. How do we make these late season races exciting? We'll just have two championship events every year. That'll do it. Yeah. And, uh, and we'll talk about this uh, way, way later, but the, it is for sure that, that they're going to award eight Kona slots at St. George. And so when you factor in, um, if you've won Kona, you're automatically qualified for the next five years. If you win 70.3 worlds, you're qualified. Um, and then obviously if you've already, if you're in one of these fall races, then you'll have a spot. And so I feel like when we get to St. George in May, we could be looking at athletes that finish in the twenties or maybe later getting Kona slots. And so maybe some of the athletes, they won't feel too much pressure to necessarily get a slot now um, with the expectation that they can be one of the first eight non-qualified mm-hmm. athletes when May comes around. Yeah, good point. Good point. All right. Since we're talking about St. George, there's another race happening in St. George. Yes, um, this is really exciting um, for me and uh, maybe kind of exciting for some of our draft legal fans. Uh, but there is going to be a Pan American Championship. Um, it was not on the calendar for the first at least six or seven months of the year, and then they they decided to have it in the Dominican Republic, and then it was canceled there due to Kona or due to COVID. Sorry, and um, the U.S. took it on, and so um, they're going to have a sprint Pan American Championship in St. George this weekend, and. Um, there'll be pro men, pro women, and there will be juniors under 23. Um, and then there are also some other draft legal races mixed in. So there's going to be some U25 elite development races going on, um, as well as an NCAA nationals qualifying race. So lots of draft legal, um, over the next couple of days in St. George. Um, the future stars, the future the stars future. of triathlon. It, it definitely looks like it, especially with the women. And then of course the juniors, um, but uh, the men's race, I think this will be the first race for Morgan Pearson uh, since the Olympics. And so it'll be fun to see him out there. Um, you know, I, we didn't think about this during our preview is Jason West is on this start list also. Oh, yeah, we didn't <laughs> mark that. <laughs> so okay, where is he going to be? Uh, that's a good question because, it, I mean, that's like we mentioned earlier, if you drop out of an uh, out of a world triathlon race, then you get a 30 day suspension where you can't get added to another race, but there are no really big races the next 30 days, except for Abu Dhabi. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Um, so if he doesn't plan to go to Abu Dhabi, he could pull out of this start list and go, yeah. uh, go to Oceanside. Um, and he wouldn't really feel the, the ramifications of the penalty because there's nothing, nothing else major on the calendar. Um, but uh, that being said, I don't know that he's the, the favorite to win. I think it's Morgan Pearson. Um, and then probably the other podium contender would be Irving Perez from Mexico. Um, I've been lapped out by, by Irving Perez before uh, several years ago in a draft legal race. Um, he's very fast. Um, I don't know that he can run with Morgan, though. I don't know that anyone on that start list other than Jason West can run with Morgan. So... I hope Jason, I almost think that it might be more exciting to watch, uh, to watch Jason head out to St. George than, than to Oceanside. Cause there are plenty of fast guys in Oceanside. <laughs> Jason, I um, hope you're in California right now. That's my, that's my vote. <laughs> um, and then uh, on the women's side, no, no names really jumped out to me. There's, if you're a, a real, um, a draft legal geek, there's a couple of the, the younger American women you've probably heard of. Um, but everyone in this race was born 1990 and later. So this is very much, um, a, a young woman's race. And so, um, it'll be fun to see, see how that plays out. It's a smaller field, um, only about 30 women. And so, um, as far as draft legal goes, that's, that's a small crowd. And I wouldn't be surprised to see three or four small packs as opposed to a big pack. And it's really going to be uh, the bike will be more important uh, because there is a good amount of climbing on the circuit. So, um, and then for us here in Fort Worth, we're very excited. Uh, 
because one of our guys, Hudson Hamilton, is going to be in the junior race. And so this is a huge race for him. And we're, we're really excited that he gets to go up there and represent the U.S. at this race. Um, he's still a couple weeks shy of his 16th birthday, so he is barely eligible to be junior. Um, but he's going to race one of the, the elite development races tomorrow. It'll be a super sprint. And then he'll race the junior sprint race on Sunday. And so we're, we're really excited for him uh, just to get this opportunity to race a big international race. Yeah, he's, a really strong swim bike. he's really strong on the swim bike. So we're hoping if he can get in the, get in the front pack and maybe get in a breakaway or something, um, this is a course that suits him for sure. There's a lot of opportunities in St. George, as we've both learned, um, to split the field. So it's not, there's pretty much no flat ground. So you'll have, you'll have your chance. Just, just go for it. Have fun out there. We'll be looking forward to seeing how you do Hudson. Okay. So kind of transitioning to toward, uh, we're done with some of the race, uh, reviews and, and races coming up, but we have kind of two news related topics we want to dive into. We'll keep it short. We'll keep it quick. Um, but maybe the first one and, and definitely something that popped up on a lot of the news sites was we have we have another suspension for doping in triathlon igor polanski uh three years doping suspension for using epo the suspension comes as a result of a, a test that was taken from him uh, at the olympics this summer where he finished i believe 30th or 40th in the individual he also participated in a relay he is from the the Russian Olympic committee, we're not going to get into the details of, um, cause it confuses me as to what the Russian Olympic committee is versus and how they can compete when Russia was sanctioned and not allowed to compete. I don't get it. Uh, but, but we have another, um, really what the, the news here is we have another suspension for doping and triathlon. Keith, what's your take on this? Um, I, I think my first thought is how do you get caught for EPO at the Olympics? Um, even if you're using EPO, right, you've, you would think that uh, with all the science that they have in Russia to have gotten away with it for however long they did, that he would have made sure that it's all out of his system by the time he gets tested at the Olympics. And so I think that's yeah. the first part. Um, and he didn't uh, contest it at all. It was uh, EPO is a four-year ban, but since he um, willingly accepted the ban and didn't ask for his B sample to be tested, it was reduced to three years. I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like if you test positive for EPO, it's uh, it's not like one of those tainted meat sort of things where maybe it was an accident. EPO, you don't accidentally take EPO. Um, and so I feel like give them the ban. But um, three years for Igor Polyansky, and I think the most significant part is that'll take him out of the next Olympics. And then uh, the big ramification for this Olympics is obviously he's disqualified. Um, but so is the 14th place Russian mixed team relay. So, yeah, um, it's not like they got a medal, so it's not a huge shakeup, but, um, it, it is probably disappointing for the other three athletes to have that Olympic result washed away. So, yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, frustrating to see this type of, this type of action still take place, uh, especially to your point. I mean, it's easy to easier to avoid. Um, and just him turning down the option to have his B sample tested, he knew completely that he was in the wrong, still went there the day of the race, competed while he was doping. Um, yeah, terrible outcome. Uh, and, and yeah, I give it, I, I agree with you. I think we need to give these people a bigger band than just three years, four years. So, um, again, kind of on the dark side of triathlon, let's transition it to, a triathlon Australia, Keith, you know, a lot more of the details on this front, but we have some potential race fixing apparently that might've been taking place ahead of the Olympics this year. Fill us in. Yeah. yeah. So if you were uh, following Olympic qualifying closely, there was, uh, I think leading up to the last few races, uh, Olympic qualifying ended in June. Uh, most of the media outlets, if you were reading Triathlete Magazine or, or anything like that, they were all covering the close race between Eli Hemming and Thomas Bishop from Great Britain. Eli Hemming is American. Um, and the, the two of them, in order to qualify for the Olympics, um, you needed to have 
to get a third spot, you needed to have three athletes ranked in the top 30 of the Olympic qualifying rankings. And, uh, the battle was really between those two guys. Um, but for some reason, no one seemed to notice that Australia slowly had a guy creeping up. Um, and that was Luke William. And he was moving up the Olympic qualifying rankings, um, all spring and into the summer. And then when, um, we got to the last weekend of Olympic qualifying, uh, that day was the Oceania championship race. And so the continental championships, um, which our Pan American championship is this weekend, um, as opposed to earlier in the year when it could have counted for Olympic qualifying, um, a triathlon Australia hosted the Oceania championship on the last day of qualifying. And the only way that they would get a third men's spot is if Luke William won the race and he did win the race in a relatively small field. Um, that was mostly Australian, uh, a couple guys from New Zealand. Um, and he won the race by one second and just made sure that he secured that spot. Um, the rumor out there is that allegedly people have, um, overheard, um, triathlon Australia coaches, um, telling athletes not to race as hard as they can to make sure that certain results happen. Um, because once the spring came around, it became obvious that Luke William was their only hope of getting a third Olympic spot. And so, um, on that side, I mean, that would be really disappointing to hear that a big federation like that is, is fixing results. Um, but then one counter argument that I've heard is draft legal triathlon is a lot more like cycling than it is like track and it is more of a team sport. So if you're trying to get your team leader to win a race, is it that dirty? Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know. I, I agree. If it, if we're all amongst the same team, perhaps. Um, but my question here is how far did the fixing go? Right. Was the right. fixing really tied to one team or were we, were we communicating outside of that? Were we trying to organize a race? So we knew that we were going to have the best outcome possible, different things like that. If those actions occurred that, then I think there's something else there, but yeah, you're like, Hey, Hey, we want you two to help this guy out, pull through and help establish a breakaway, knowing that that's going to give us the best outcome. Totally cool with that. That's not race fixing. That's called tactics. But if there were other things happening, um, that contributed to the outcome besides what was actually going on during the race, telling someone not to go as hard, something like that. that I don't think that's fair. Yeah, no. And, and I, I'm kind of wondering <laughs> that same thing. If there was, um, some of, I mean, with COVID, you know, lots of races were kind of just popping up or getting the green light late. Um, and I think this was one of those that just, uh, came onto the schedule a little bit later and they were able to make it work just right so that it fit fit the timeline and, and they were able to get that last spot. Um, but on the, on the flip side, I I've kind of wondered, um, you know, USAT, whenever the Pan American championship was canceled, um, a few weeks ago, they jumped on the opportunity to host this race in St. George. Um, but I'm wondering why they didn't volunteer to host this race earlier in the year, um, because it would have been a big boost for our Olympic qualifying um, especially with an athlete like Eli Hemming, he was our guy to try to get a third spot. And I feel like he should have been, you know, we should have had this race so that he could have tried to score some points also. Um, and I just kind of feel like USAT dropped the ball on that when we, uh, we should have had three men, um, and we could have just hosted this race ourselves a long time ago instead of waiting till the end of the year. We have anyone from USAT that can help answer these questions for us. Let us know. Investigative reporters, Michael and Keith have some questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's going to be our next. We're just going to do triathlon investigation. Yeah, this is not a podcast anymore. We're like, we're doing some investigations. But I mean, I think that pretty wraps up pretty well wraps up some of the race recaps and previews that we have for this week. Uh, in two weeks time, we're going to go through and recap all of those previews that we just talked about. Um, so, so make sure to subscribe to this podcast if you want to catch those. And next week, Keith, as you alluded to, we're going to have a much more in-depth conversation on the coaching side and the conversation is going to be around coaching versus self-coach. So if you're thinking about whether or not, Hey, is, is it the right time for me to get a coach? Should I get a coach? What, what are the best or what are the benefits of having a coach? 
that podcast is going to be really helpful for you. So, so make sure to take a listen when you get a chance. I think that pretty much covers it, Keith. Anything else that you want to add? No, no, that was uh, that was fun to talk uh, just news. Yeah, it was. Thanks everyone for watching. Again, you can find our Instagram handles, links to the YouTube and to the Fort Worth Track Club or Track Club, sorry, uh, website down below in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you in the next one.